the name of Jesus, we pray that this morning you would instruct us. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to your good care. Jesus told us you would be our counselor, our helper, our guide, our teacher, the one who reminds us of what is true. And you will guide us into that truth. So we pray now that you would do that. We submit to your rule over us. Your kingdom rule over us. So our minds are clear. We're bringing them under submission. Under the self-control of your presence. That we may hear and obey. So we pray you'd pull that off this morning. For your glory and for our joy we ask this. Amen. Acts chapter 21 verse 1 to 16. We're going to look at, this morning, Paul's journey to Jerusalem. But in that journey to Jerusalem, we're going to see the messy reality of New Covenant Fellowship. The messy reality of New Covenant Fellowship as Paul is journeying to Jerusalem to deliver the aid gathered for the church in Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27 tells us, uh, looking forward to this glorious work of the cross, the Lord gave us through Ezekiel the prophet this word, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes and be careful to obey my rules same vein Ezekiel speaks Jeremiah comes along in Jeremiah 31 in this new covenant reality the work of the cross he looks forward in Jeremiah 31 33 to 34 with this word for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The glorious promise of the new covenant, of the gospel of the kingdom, promises the removal of a heart of disobedience that is unloving to God in order to replace it with a new heart that loves God and wants to obey Him and obey His truths, His rules, His laws that He has written on our hearts. The new covenant promises the Holy Spirit to dwell in each one of us. The new covenant promises that each one will know the Lord. And that our sins will be forgiven and never remembered again. That is really good news. You see, we see the fulfillment of this promise in Acts 2. When the Spirit is sent by the Lord Jesus, as He promised He would do when He ascended to the Father in this new covenant community. And this new covenant community is now born as the Spirit takes up residence in His church. 
in this community, in His church, there is no longer one priest to whom all look, but now all know the Lord. Sons and daughters prophesy. Peter quotes from the prophet. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. And the whole covenant community is empowered and gifted to advance the cause. And everyone outside of the kingdom who calls on the name of the Lord is then saved and brought into the kingdom as sons and daughters of God. We now... Currently, at this point in time, live in that end times season. We live in the restoration of all things. The end of human history is winding to a close. And this time is gloriously marked by the fact that all God's people know Him and can walk with Him closely. However... Each person knowing God and walking with Him can create some challenges that require some discernment, some unity practiced, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. And perhaps a letter or two written from an old crusty apostle, Paul, Bible, to keep things in order and to guide present and future life together under the Word of God. We, us, Three Rivers Church, together in fellowship, think radical life groups, okay? Think radical life groups. We can mix spirit-led insight and personal longings that are not sin. We all have longings that are not sinful, right? And so we can mix spirit-led insight and personal longings that are not sin. And that can lead to conclusions by multiple people that happen to differ. Such is the case in our text today with Paul. And those who follow Jesus who minister alongside of him. Paul really addressed this kind of life together in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. A spirit gifted community that has to navigate the waters of spirit enablement and flesh. Paul used that language to talk about desires that aren't necessarily good but may be sinful. And how to navigate that in love for one another. That subjects itself to authority, mission, and unity. It would be so much easier just to have a Gentile system of small group community life that lords power down through chains of command and underlings just smile and wave and depend on the group's priest to tell everybody what to do. But that is not what new covenant community And the Bible looks like. Jesus taught us that the great are actually servants. The last are first. In the kingdom of Jesus, people are given complimenting gifts. 
And the way forward in community is to love patiently. To love kindly. To not be envious. To not boast. To not be arrogant or rude. To not insist on one's own way. To not be irritable or resentful, but rejoice in the truth. To bear all things, to believe all things, to hope in all things, endure all things. If that sounds familiar, that's 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, in which Paul reminds that church how they are to love one another in the midst of all their diversity and their unity. You see, we get a sample of that life together under the Word as Paul journeys to Jerusalem to to deliver this aid to the church at Jerusalem that he's collected from the Gentile churches and as he lives life in New Covenant Fellowship while on that journey. So we're going to take a look at the messiness of New Covenant Fellowship and, and some things we can obey from it as we walk away today. So what do we see? What do we observe as we read the text? And what does it mean? And then how do we obey it? Acts 21 Verse 1 through 16. And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought for the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. I want you to notice a few things here. I want you to notice that it was clear that the Spirit was telling them... Everybody, everybody was hearing a similar message. And that similar message is easy to discern. And it's the commonality between what Paul was saying in chapter 20, which we looked at last week. What they're saying here 
in the northern part of his journey, and then what he hears when he gets down a little further south. And the common message they're hearing is that there's going to be some hard times ahead. You see it in verse 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 20, where Paul is telling the Ephesian elders that I know that in Jerusalem there is a difficult time awaiting me. We see it in verse 4 of chapter 21 that through the Spirit, some have interpreted what they're hearing as Paul not needing to go. The only reason you would not go is because bad things are in front of you. And then we see it in verse 10 to 12 that Agabus, who we see earlier in chapter 11, who looked forward by the gift of the Holy Spirit to see the famine coming on Jerusalem and told everybody about it. This same Agabus comes and he takes Paul's belt and he pulls in Ezekiel, right? If you read the prophet Ezekiel, he did some strange things to get his message across. And so he binds his hand and his feet with Paul's belt and says, the man who owns this belt, this is going to happen to him at Jerusalem. And so they're all hearing that... There's some hard times ahead. And some of them, however, interpreted that message as you should not go. That's a little messy. Because Paul has been given a gift to minister to the churches who have taken a hit due to the famine that Agabus looked forward to in chapter 11. And he's been commissioned by God to serve them. And so he's gathered an offering. And Paul's options on going are kind of limited to go and go. But some who also walk with the Lord Jesus are hearing, yeah, there's going to be hard times awaiting. And their love for Paul and their care for his ministry sort of kind of gets in the mix. And they begin to interpret the message, hard times are coming, as don't go. And so they're begging him, Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. Please, Paul, don't go. And Paul clearly understands that hard times are coming. He understands that. He recognizes that, yes, what the Spirit is telling you, He is telling me. I understand this. I'm willing to die. I've sold myself out. As a matter of fact, as Paul would say in his other writings, I'm dead already. Just... That's why I do what I do is I've already been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm dead already. So it doesn't really matter when they decide to make it a physical happening. And so... We recognize they were hearing that hard times were coming. We recognize Paul had a mission to accomplish. Some of them interpreted that as don't go. Paul clearly interpreted that as I don't have an option. And so what do they do? What do they do, right? I think it's interesting here, and this is just a side note. This is free. and give you a little, a little freedom here to hear this, and hopefully you will receive it well. Um, again, it's kind of off to the side. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail. Hearing and understanding that difficult times await is by no means the Lord's word that we shouldn't walk into the difficulty. I clearly understand that their love for Paul 
caused them to hear this message that difficult times were coming as that means you shouldn't go. And Paul goes, what are you doing breaking my heart? I love you. You love me. I know that. And this begging me not to go is tough. I want you to notice here that the language, particularly verse 14, said, we ceased. Luke has once again picked up the first person plural. And Luke does that all the way through the book. And what you, if you pay attention when you're reading, I haven't drawn your attention to it an awful lot because I don't want to get you sidetracked sometimes and miss the point. But Luke is often with Paul. And when Luke is with Paul, he's using we. We, you know, first person plural, like there's, I'm with you, I'm writing this, but I was with him, we, right? And, and then there are times when it's clear Luke is not with him because he's writing about them and, and, and he has received the report and now he's putting it all down. But even right here, Luke, his traveling companion, his fellow servant, those going with him were begging him because he says, we ceased. We were hearing difficult times come. Paul's hearing difficult times come. And we're saying, don't go, Paul, don't go. His closest allies, his closest buddies are going, don't get on the ship. Paul has to clearly understand, what is the Lord saying to me? And Paul says, you're breaking my heart. Why are you doing this to me? I got to, if if I die, I die, but I got to go. It's clear Paul understood. It's clear Paul never wavered on getting the offering to Jerusalem. Paul never rebuked his friends for having a contrary opinion. He did express his love for the church and the fact that they're begging him not to go was breaking his heart. Paul reaffirmed his desire to lift up the name Jesus. It's kind of come back to, I'm on my little rabbit trail and I'm about to come back to the main trail. Had there not been people in the history of the church who refused to run through the stop sign that people were putting up in front of them, the gospel would have never gone to hard places. Jim Elliott was warned by one of his professors at Wheaton that there's no better Bible teacher than him. And if he goes, why? what are they going to do? Jim Elliott's response is, everybody here in this college has Bibles. They don't. How can I stay? It's dangerous, Jim. I know. They don't know, and you do, so i got to go. And it's not like they were trying to impede the gospel. Their love for Jim said, we don't want bad things to happen to you. And Jim goes, geez, neither do I, but I've died already. i I got to go. And a little side note here in this little rabbit trail is very simply this. Sometimes in community, as we do life together and we listen to the Lord, we're going to have competing ideas coming from what we're hearing from the Lord. And what I want to say to all of us is in love and unity and care for one another, we submit to the completion of the task, not the saving of our lives. They love Paul. Paul loved them. They were all hearing from the Lord. Some interpreted that as don't go. Paul clearly understood, no, I got to go. And notice how they came to a conclusion here. We see in verse 14, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. There's a clear display of love for one another. Each obeyed what they understood and knew, and they trusted ultimately the Lord to determine what should come about.
few thoughts here in this narrative before we get to some obedience, okay? Some points to obey from this passage. Awaiting difficulty should never be interpreted as don't go through with the plan. We should also recognize that they didn't come to an agreement. Often we apply unbiblical principles to our life together. Saying, well, we all need to agree. Not necessarily. They didn't agree here. They're saying, don't go. Paul's go and go. They didn't agree. But they loved each other. And what was the conclusion? Paul, do what you need to do and let the will of the Lord be done. There was a robust trust in the providence of God to lead their steps regardless of the decision they made. And I want to say to you, that will free you up to follow Jesus. Even when people don't agree with your conclusions. And, and don't hear that in the sense of like being mad at each other. Just like, mm, we're kind of, mm, you're thinking this, I'm thinking this. And I don't know that I'm hearing. So let the will of the Lord be done. I trust Jesus with you. He will shepherd you better than me. That frees us up to hear from the Lord and obey. So often we don't have to come to an agreement we just submit to one another peacefully i think what's interesting here is nobody sought to win quote what they sought was what was good for the other nobody compromised what was right and i put right in quotes nobody compromised what was right i'm just going to stay i'm going to Put this in your ears. I want you to hear this. Do not buy into the fellowship killing lie that your insight or my insight is, quote, truth. And everyone else's insight is not in line with the truth. Unless there is a clear scriptural mandate being abused, then one must be careful in applying, quote, truth to their insight. We should not confuse our application of truth with the truth itself. They modeled this perfectly. Modeled it perfectly. If the debate had been, Jesus is God, no He's not. Then... That's a clear issue of which one has to grab it tightly and hold on. And come what may, I will not let this go. That's not the issue here. It's go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. We agree hardship awaits. Hmm? Trust the Lord with it. Nobody's saying they're right. And they didn't come to the end of it and feel violated. Like, well, gosh, man, I was right. He was wrong. I can't believe I got outvoted. This... Nobody compromised what was right here. There wasn't a right. There was, we trust the Lord. You're hearing something, I'm hearing something. Let's pray for you and send you off the way you believe God has called you to go and trust Him to shepherd you well. It's easy to get offended when our application is turned into truth. You've got to remember, applications are not truth. They're your effort to apply the truth that you have learned. Which is why, when we teach you from up here, you hear us say things like this. What does it say and what does it mean? And what's the last thing we do? How do we obey, right? Because you don't go to obedience till you know what the heck you're obeying. Does that make sense? 
Which is why it's not my job, any teacher's job, to stand in front of you and give you applications first. It is to lay out what is true, to expose what is true, so that then we may look at the myriad of applications that may flow from it. Does that make sense? Nobody compromised what was right. Everyone had good intentions and everyone believed the best of each other. And they stayed in unity and didn't agree. Isn't that cool? Do you believe that's doable? Absolutely it's doable. It's a prime example. Because you all have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you believe the gospel and you've repented of the rebellion... The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you and birthed you into a community of the people of God whereby your relationships inside covenant fellowship are thicker than blood relationships outside. I have blood relatives that are not relatives more than you because they're not in the kingdom. We don't worship the same king and they don't have the same values. The DNA may be the same, but... I submit to the king who made the DNA before I submit to the DNA. And the reality is everybody in this room, if you're in covenant fellowship with one another, has the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. We are together. We are one. We're one body. And we live life together. We pursue the kingdom together. We pursue the great commission together. And we do that in love and we do that in unity. And this example here is absolutely beautiful. So how do we obey this? I'm going to give you four, four things we can obey and practice from this text today. Number one, I want you to recognize, Three of Church, that it is no contradiction for us to hear from the Spirit and the Word and come to differing conclusions in community on what to do with that truth. Does that make sense? Here's my hunch. Is if in community we are hearing from the Word, submitting to the Spirit, He may make application in every unique way that is represented in that group. And he just might hit every domain of society that way. Because if I obey the way Joseph obeys, or the way Christian obeys, or the way Kevin obeys, we're all going to be in the same little domain. But God being wise, the wise creator Jesus, wired us all with different things, and He put us in different domains. So if I'm hearing the Lord... Obey Jesus in my domain, not in the domain of law. I'm not a lawyer. I I don't need to do what God tells Joseph to do. I need to do what He gives me to do. But we stay in unity, working together for the sake of the gospel. Does that make sense? So we recognize that it is no contradiction to hear from the Spirit and the Word and come to different conclusions on what we're to do with that truth. So I would say to you, in your covenant community... If the Spirit is clear and the Word is clear and you're having different applications, then, yeah, go do it. Get after it. I think oftentimes with the church in the West, it's not an issue of do we know the truth. It's an issue of am I willing to do anything with it. 
Because the reality is it's more comfortable to argue and debate on who's right than it is to just so simply obey what you know to do. Does that make sense? We can come back together and have a council on its application when we're making messes out in the community by preaching the gospel, making disciples, and bringing up doctrinal issues that need to be wrestled through. We'll have a council. But when we're obeying like that, then we can come together and have the great councils and debate on what is the most right way to apply it. Does that make sense? I would just simply say to us as a church, hear the Spirit, hear the Word, and go do what He tells you to do. Go do what He tells you to do. We suffer in the West not from a lack of truth, but from a lack of doing what is true. Do not hear me dethrone truth. Right? The Word, it is the manual. The problem with us is we don't do anything with the manual typically. I'm going to be going this week to work in a place that's a milieu of multiple worldviews. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. New believers walking into the faith, being discipled. And the scarce availability of Scripture... Yet they are striving to walk out what they know. Striving to do with the little bit they have. And most of us have three or four of these on our shelves in different, different translation theories. And we attend our four or five Bible studies a week, but yet never do anything with what we learn. And I wonder who is richer in the kingdom, them or us. Right? So it's no contradiction for us to hear the Word and the Spirit and to come to different conclusions on what to do with that truth. Just simply obey. Walk it out. Wrestle it out. Submit one another to the providential care of the Lord and go obey. Number two. We must all be convinced with a clean conscience having been informed by the Word and the Spirit as we walk with the Lord and each other. We must all be convinced with a clean conscience, having been informed by the Word and the Spirit as we walk with the Lord and with each other. This is not a negative. This is a positive. This kind of community causes us to, number one, believe the best about each other and each other's intentions. You know, one of the ways God, that the enemy destroys God's people is little lies planted in our minds about the other's intentions for me. That if a person simply obeys what is on their mind and it is different than what he is speaking to me, we are so easy to get offended and think they're out to get me. They don't like me. They're just being contrary to me. They've offended my sense of humanity and life and being and dignity and therefore we cannot be together. And how devastatingly evil. We must all be convinced with a clean conscience. Having, having, that, that's a participle, it's a verbal adjective. <laughs> Participles are beautiful. Having... There's an active describing going on there. Having been informed, I structured this sentence, I diagrammed it before I wrote it on purpose. Having been informed, so my information is coming from the Word 
and the Holy Spirit who gave us the Word as we walk with the Lord and arm in arm with each other. So we're walking together, informed by the Word and the Spirit, and therefore convinced with a clean conscience. That that will lead to all kinds of good applications of the truth of God's Word. And so, we believe the best about each other, even though we might not be able to come to the same conclusion. Recognize each other's intentions are good for one another. Unless, of course, that person is blatantly sinning. And that happens sometimes in community, because people speak evil, they sin, they gossip, they lie, they tell untruths, they stab in back, and that's a sinful problem. But we're walking together in fellowship. Believe the best about each other. The enemy tears churches apart at the fellowship level with secretly spoken words. What does the proverb say about a person who whispers? You know that? You need to know the proverb. Here's a little Bible study tip. Read a proverb a day for a month. And then go back. Make that part of your Bible reading plan. The proverbs tell us that a whisperer separates close friends. And we're talking about sin issues of backstabbing, speaking evil of, and speaking evil of others' intentions. That's sin. That's rebellion. That's satanic. We're talking about walking together in the light and believing the best about each other's intentions, although we may disagree on methodology. Number two... This is, this is all, by the way, under number. How do we obey? Number one, we recognize that contradic- it's not a contradiction for us to be in the Spirit and Word and have different conclusions. Number two, convince with a clean conscience informed by the Word and the Spirit as we walk with each other. So I said this is not a negative, it's a positive. This causes us to, one, believe the best about each other. Number two, submit to one another in love. Submit to one another in love. That's straight out of Ephesians and Colossians, which those two books almost mirror... Um, submit to one another in love. Submission is not a dirty word. It's taught dirtily in our context. We believe that independence is God's value and it's not. God exists in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity submitting to one another in perfect unity and diversity. That's biblical. And that's, John says, God is love. And that submission to one another in fellowship and unity is an expression of love. And so therefore to submit to one another in love is ultimately imitating God. So we submit to one another in love. Number three, we obey what we believe based on how Holy Spirit is moving on our conscience. This is why Paul will have to write things to the church at Rome in chapter 14 and chapter 15, speaking about some of you eat meat, some of you don't. Some of you drink good stuff, some of you choose Dr. Pepper. And so, Dr. Pepper's good stuff too, but I mean, you know what I mean. Some of y'all drinking alcohol, some of y'all ain't. Teetotalers, not teetotalers. And so what he says to them is never stop drinking or start drinking, never stop eating or start eating, but be together and be unified. In other words, drink, eat. Don't drink, don't eat, but whatever you do, love each other and stay together. 
That's the word of the text, right? And so, obey what your conscience is moving by the work of the Spirit for who you are and what you are. And trust the Lord to be at work in those who you're, that you're in community with. And man, we, the ch- evangelical Western church is petty, man. We, we got to have our, like, different churches for different, like, things we have as idols. You know, you're going to have to have your public school church, your private school church, your homeschool church, your we don't eat meat church, and you're, we don't do this church, and we do this church. And I'm like, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's not how this works. Whatever He tells you to do, obey and love each other and stay in unity. And don't press, don't press your particular application onto another and say, you're a sinner. Because you eat pork. And I would say, negative Ghost Rider. <laughs> no. I know the move of the Spirit of the Lord with a little bacon wrapped something with barbecue sauce on it. Glory. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'm just being, being facetious about the fact that obey your conscience. Obey your conscience and stay unified. And don't press into other people things that are your conscience that's not theirs. Fourth, we can still be together and unified, although not in conformity with each other's individual practices. Right? So that's all number two, how do we obey? Number three, watch out for manifestations of the flesh. Keep an eye on sin rearing its head, trying to destroy community. Because I promise you, the evil one does that well. John told us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, that the world is manifest in the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and pride and possessions. And he tells us in chapter 5, verse 19, that Satan is the one who rules that world system of the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and pride and possessions. If that's the case, then we need to watch out for how flesh or sinful intentions begin to rear their ugly heads, or head, maybe one, two, multiple, in the fellowship. Watch out for manifestations of the flesh. Galatians 5, 18 to 26. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Praise God. Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're not hidden. The flesh is not hidden. It's evident. In other words, it's clear. If you can't tell sinful manifestation versus holy, you either need to be saved, or you need to school yourself in the Word. It can't be like, if you can't tell what's sin and what's not, you don't have the Spirit dwelling in you and the manual's not informing you. Okay? So, I mean, it says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, living by the senses, yanked around by the senses, yanked around by what you see and what you feel, sensuality. And that has a sexual connotation as well as multiple connotations in that particular word, but this is not an exposition of Galatians 5, 18 and 26. Just, it's evident. Verse 20, idolatry. 
What gets the majority of your money? Time, effort, kingdom, or another God? Our idolatry, Satan is good about covering up idolatry in context. Satan can exegete context better than we can. We think idolatry, we think little wooden statues that we bow down and pray to. That's contextually in the Bible, that's because that's how it was done in that part of the world. Our idolatry is much more sophisticated. Our idolatry, you got to remember, they sacrificed too. They gave their time for, they gave their money to those things. So idolatry is really what you worship in light of Jesus. What do you lay down your money for that you don't lay it down inside the community, the kingdom, the church? That's your idol. I'm sorry, but what you give the majority of your money to? Like, I mean, have you spent yourself up here into debt and can't function? Whatever you spent it for is your God. Unless it was something that was absolutely necessary. And I get that, that gets nuanced and crazy and life happens and, and bad things and circumstances hit us and, and, and we sometimes got to get out of it and I recognize all that. I'm talking about normal, everyday, just functioning. What is the thing that gets the majority of your attention and money? Chances are that might be your God. So he says, flesh is evident, idolatry. And do those idolatrous things get in the way of the kingdom? Do they keep you from each other? If so... It's a false god. Sorcery. Hopefully nobody's practicing that in this room. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and hopefully you've memorized this one, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. In other words, indulge in all that. Eat that till it's running out of your mouth and staining your Lips, all the self-control you can handle. Eat it up. Right? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I ain't going to preach on that. I'm just going to let it hang over you. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning, let's keep in step with that fruit. Notice, by the way, it's fruit, not fruits. When you quote it, quote it right. It is fruit, not fruits. It's fruit is, not fruits are. Meaning you get a measure of all that with Jesus. So you can't say, I'm just impatient. That's just the way it is. He's still working on me. Yeah, but he's giving you patience. So exercise it, right? If your legs are weak, you do squats. And your legs will get stronger. Why? Because you exercise them. If you are impatient, practice patience. And your patience will get stronger because you are practicing it. Walk with the Spirit. Because He's given you patience, right? So these things that are of the flesh, so watch out for the manifestation of the flesh. Is the flesh rearing its ugly head in your radical life group? Rivalry? Ambition? Selfish ambition? Envy? Anger? Strife? Jealousy? If so, check it. Put it in check, right? Chip block it. 
Football still on my mind. I'm grieving. I ain't wearing my hat today. Right? If it's rushing you off the edge, cut it at the knees, man. It's all good. Just cut it. I know you can't cut block in some football, but hey, if the ref don't throw the flag, it's legal. So I'm saying, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So I'm saying, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. You can say that better. If you're not pushing the edge of the spirit of the rule, your effort level is not where it needs to be. So if the flesh is bull rushing you, cut it. If the flesh is rearing its head, kill it. Right? Does that make sense? Because the flesh will destroy fellowship. So watch out for manifestations of the flesh. And finally, let love for each other point us toward what we believe is good for each other and leave room for any good way to be chosen. Let love for each other point us toward what we believe is good for each other and leave room for any good way to be chosen. It's one thing if a person chooses clear sin, broken a commandment or clearly seeking to impede the the kingdom and manifestation of the flesh. It's another thing when people choose one of two or three Three good options. Our love for each other should compel us to be gentle and open with each other. Our love for each other should compel us to not share everything on our hearts, but only what lifts up. Say that one again, because that one's weird when you talk about fellowship. Our love for each other should compel us to not share everything on our hearts, but only what lifts up. That's an issue of self-control. It isn't necessary to say everything you're thinking. That's good human behavior. It's even better kingdom behavior, right? It's selfish to share everything just so you can get it out when that information may hurt or cause doubt. It's a discipline called restraint. We should practice it in community. And then our love for each other should cause us to pray that regardless of tactics chosen, that the Lord will achieve His mission, the Lord's will will be done in spite of our tactical differences. As they said at the end of the passage, we submit you, Paul, to the will of the Lord. May His will be done. That's messy. New Covenant Fellowship. But it's doable, and it's rich, and it's beautiful. It's how it's supposed to be done. So Three Rivers Church, strive for it. Fight for it. Be willing to die for it. And know this, that the enemy will come after it. Our church is the healthiest it's ever been in community. Healthiest it's ever been. More people in covenant community than ever in the history of our church. On two campuses. And I promise you, Satan hates that and he'll come after it. Hear this today and practice it. And we will thwart him. We'll throw him to the ground. We'll cut block him. We'll tear his ACL. Make him limp for a while. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Holy Spirit who is counselor, guide to truth, helper. And we just want to ask now that you will 
Help us to process this passage and to make the myriad of applications that your word would give us. So Lord, we pray that if there's anything that would stand in the way of your people's enjoyment of you and each other, that you would knock it down. That you would remove it. When we pray against the effects of the evil one in this room right now. Holy Spirit, we ask for focus on you and on your kingdom. We ask that you would guard us from manifestations of the flesh. Help us to love each other well in New Covenant community. Would you please do that? We trust you for that. We believe you're going to pull that off. Because it's your will. And you told us that if we ask anything in accordance with your will, you'll do it. So we're just looking for the realization of it. Trusting you're going to do it. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. Hear our voices as we sing to you. Be delighted in us as we take delight in you.